Amen. What a wonderful, uplifting song service we have enjoyed this morning already. The choir special and the offertory and Ashley's song, as well as us corporately together singing praise to God and being encouraged by the truth that not only have we been given a mission to make disciples, to proclaim the gospel, but that our Savior will be with us every step of the way. And he will enable us to fulfill that commission. We must trust and obey. Take your Bibles and join me in Acts chapter 13. As you can see on our screen, we'll be looking at verses 42 to 52. While you're turning there, I don't know if you know how much of this from history of the sinking of the Lusitania. It was a British vessel. It was sunk by a German U-boat during World War I. It wasn't supposed to be unexpected or surprising because Germany ran several advertisements in the New York Times warning of the ship's impending doom. The advertisements actually ran for several weeks until the morning of the day the Lusitania left the United States. That day, it even appeared on the same page that informed people of the ship's departure back to England from New York. Additionally, the British government also warned the captain of the Lusitania to avoid that, uh, areas around British shore where German boats were active. And then if you ever pass such areas, he should use zigzag strategy to try to escape them. The captain received more warnings just as he entered such an area, but for some reason ignored them and slowed the ship down. He also stayed too close to the shore and refused to zigzag, which made the ship a perfect target. And the U-boat sank, the Lusitania, 1,195 people died in the sinking of that vessel. In the Word of God, we have seen a warning that Paul, as he preaches by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has given to those in the synagogue, those who were Jews and those who were Gentile God-fearers, those that were proselytes or become, going to become proselytes to the Jewish faith, those who were seeking after the one true God, but had come to the misunderstanding that based on their keeping or of observing the law, they could somehow, through their good works, establish their own righteousness. And Paul preaches that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all that man cannot do, and that his sacrifice on the cross is given so that man could be cleansed from sin and could be justified, made righteous, before God. Look back, if you would, with me, if you would, as we would refer back to, not our text this morning, but verses 40 and 41. As Paul is preaching, he confronts the people to whom he is uh, proclaiming the gospel, and by him, by Jesus, all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold, ye despisers, and wonder, and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. And just like Germany had warned of the impending doom of ships uh, headed to England by their U-boats, and that at peril of life you take great risk in ignoring that warning, so through the preaching of the Apostle Paul and through the written scriptures, 
All who hear the gospel have been warned of eternal death that is to come. The danger of a separation from God for all of eternity in a place of eternal punishment called the lake of fire. The good news is that that can be avoided through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead of facing and experiencing for all of eternity the second death, you can enjoy the gift of eternal life. Spending all of eternity with God and an eternal future that surpasses man's comprehension of how incredibly wonderful it will be. God has this for you if you will but turn from your self-reliance, repent of your sin, put your faith in Jesus Christ, and ask him to cleanse you from your sin and to make you righteous. Look now, as we look at what happened at the end of Paul's message, because he gave this invitation and he gives this warning, we pick it up in verse 42. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue and the Gentiles... Uh, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. So basically, my first point is there were some who wanted to hear more of the word. The way that it is that it is worded here in the King James English kind of gives the idea that it was only the Gentiles that were seeking for uh, to hear more of the word. But really, it is the God-fearing Gentiles as well as the Jews that after the synagogue had been dismissed, they were actually inviting them to come back next Sabbath. As a matter of fact, some Bible scholars believe that it was actually uh, those who were in charge of the synagogue, the authorities of that synagogue, that actually extended a formal uh, kind of an invitation to Paul and Barnabas to come back the next Sabbath and to proclaim more. But there were more that wanted to hear the word. And so there's that invitation. Maybe some, and we don't know, but maybe some were looking for evidence to refute the message. Hey, listen, what you have said is very powerful, it sounds scriptural, but um, we don't believe it. So we're going to look for proof text to argue against you. And next week when you come, boy, we'll be ready to argue. Some maybe were comparing the apostles' message with the Old Testament scriptures. Berean Baptist Church, you know how we got our name? The Berean Christians, what did they do? When Paul preached the word of God to them, they searched the Old Testament scriptures to confirm that those things were true. And they then responded to the truth of the word of God. And so maybe some were doing that. What Paul had preached was true, and they themselves wanted to get in and, and study the Old Testament further to compare what Paul was proclaiming with the Old Testament scriptures and what they said. And certainly, any time the Word of God is preached from this pulpit and in this place, you are strongly encouraged to search the scriptures yourselves to make sure that what is being proclaimed lines up with the scripture. Because we want to carefully, rightly divide the Word of Truth whether it's in a Sunday school class, whether it's in our children's church, whether it is a message being preached from this pulpit, whether it's in our Bible Institute classes on Sunday night or Bible studies on Wednesday night, whenever the Word of God is taught or proclaimed here at Berean, we want to be careful with the truth. But that doesn't mean that you just kind of, in a, in a blasé way, kind of just kind of are spoon-fed and don't study for yourself. Dig into the Word of God. It could be that some were counting the cost of believing the gospel. They knew they'd be ostracized. They would be rejected and mocked maybe even persecuted for believing. And so maybe some were kind of counting the cost and considering it, but there were some who wanted to hear more of the word. Now look in verse 43. Now, when the congregation was broken up, that means basically that when the service was dismissed, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. So the second point is that some immediately believed the word. 
these, some of these Jews and God-fearing Gentiles were urged by Paul and Barnabas to continue in the grace of God, which indicates that they are to experience God's saving grace. We know salvation is by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. Not out of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so the grace of God they experienced through faith in the word of God as Paul proclaimed it, as the spirit of God was ministering that truth in their hearts. The Jews, I believe the ones that believe were ones who were searching the scriptures and looking and expecting the Messiah, not according to what the cultural Jews around them were looking for. They were looking for a political Messiah. But for those that truly wanted to know God and wanted to know the Messiah, and this Paul is proclaiming Jesus Christ is that Messiah. Those that have been searching are excited and they believe, they understand, yes, what Paul is preaching fulfills Old Testament prophecy scripture. Remember, that's how Paul starts his message, delineating how that Jesus Christ fulfilled all these Old Testament promises so very specifically that he must be Messiah. He is Messiah. And these Jews and God-fearing Gentiles that were looking for and hoping for the biblical Messiah, not the cultural Messiah, I believe they believed on Christ. But then look at verses 44 to 46. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It is necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing ye have put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. The Jewish leadership and majority of the Jewish people simply could not accept a teaching that would open such floodgates of hope to the Gentiles. They were God's chosen people. They had received the Old Testament scriptures. Certainly God would not redeem vile Gentile heathens. And they could not accept anything that would make the Gentiles of an equal spiritual status with them. They actively argued against and blasphemed against Paul and the message of the word of God in verse 45. When they saw the multitudes and filled within me, they contradicted. The last phrase, they're contradicting and blaspheming. They were beginning to argue with what Paul was preaching They were blaspheming. The things that they were saying were blasphemous. They were not according to Old Testament scripture. I believed that when they could not uh, argue from the scriptures because Paul was preaching the word of God and he was preaching through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one, according to the apostle Peter, who spoke the word of God and inspired the Old Testament prophets to write the Old Testament as well as the apostles who wrote the New Testament books. So if one is preaching under the power of the same Holy Spirit who authored the Old Testament books, you can't argue and reason against this message. Therefore, I believe that then they devolved into blasphemy. That is, they began to preach that the tradition of the elders and their own opinions held equal status with the word of God. And they began to say things that were false doctrine because they were panicked. Because they were moved with envy. They moved to emotional arguments. Much like in our society today. 
If you don't have a reasonable argument, how do you win? You shout down the opponent. You out, you be more passionate. You somehow display a greater passion and, and, and noise and vehemence in order to shout down the opposition when you have no reasonable, logical, truthful argument to, pro, to produce. And that is exactly what these Jewish leaders and the majority of the Jewish people did because they could not get past the fact that God would redeem a multitude of Gentiles. They repudiated or shoved away the word of God. Look at verse 46. When Paul says here, he says, seeing ye put it from you, that is a very strong word. It means to violently shove away. It means to push away. They're saying, we want nothing to do with you. We want nothing to do with this Jesus Christ. They blasphemed. They blasphemed the message of the gospel. They argued against it. They shoved it away. And Paul states that what thrusting away the word of God really means. By doing so, the Jews themselves acted as judges in their own case. They do not want the word of God. Their judgment, therefore, is they are not worthy of eternal life, which that word brings. For who is the word made flesh? It's Jesus Christ. When you reject Jesus Christ as Savior, when you reject him as God the Son, when you reject him as the only way of salvation, you are rejecting the scriptures. You are rejecting your only hope of eternal life. No matter how intelligent you may be, no matter how much uh, you want to think you want to adhere to the word of God, if you reject Jesus Christ, you are rejecting the central theme of the scriptures. So they blasphemed the word of God in that they blasphemed Jesus Christ as not being the Savior and the Messiah. God's plan had always been that the gospel would be for the Jews and Gentiles. Look at these verses along with me, if you would. In Isaiah 49 and verse 6, Isaiah prophesies, Speaking on behalf of God the Father, I will give to thee Messiah for a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 32, you remember when Simon comes into the temple, when, when uh, Joseph and Mary had brought Jesus in according to the custom of the law, and Simon, who'd been praying for the hope of Israel, wanting to see Messiah, here's what he says. And he came by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, into the temple. And when his parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. He doesn't say for the Jews or for Israel. Then he says, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people, Israel. In Isaiah and in Luke, there are these two very clear statements that the God intended the gospel for the Jews and the Gentiles, for all people. And the Bible declares in Genesis 22 and verse 18, before the law was given, God promised to Abraham in Genesis 22 and verse 18, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. 
And Jesus Christ came through the nation of Israel. And the blessing that is being spoken of there is the gift of salvation, of eternal life. If you go back in the context in Genesis chapter 22, you remember that is when God said to Abraham, Take now thy son Isaac. Take him into the land of Moriah and offer him there for burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Now you remember that when, Mo, when Isaac was born, Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90. This was a miracle. This was something that God had promised and, and God had fulfilled in giving Isaac. And the Bible relates in Genesis chapter 22 that, that Abraham didn't argue with God. He didn't delay and procrastinate. He rose early in the morning, saddled the donkeys, got everything together for the sacrifice, took his servants with him, went into the land to Mount Moriah. And Mount Moriah and Mount Calvary are in the same mountain range. It is believed that where the sacrifice that Abraham was going to offer of his son Isaac and Mount Calvary are less than two or three miles apart. Because there God tells Abraham in the mount of the Lord, in this mount it shall be seen. And he's speaking of the sacrifice of Christ. Abraham, of course, then takes Isaac with him. Hebrews 11 tells us by faith that Abraham accounted the promise of God that he would be able to raise Isaac even from the dead, from whence also he received him. Who's him? Jesus Christ, Messiah in a figure. And as Abraham the father offered his only son, the only hope of, uh, of, of the promise of God, as he is ready to slay his son, Abraham believing God could even raise him from the dead, the angel of the Lord calls out of heaven and stops Abraham. And there was a substitute, a ram caught by his horns in the thicket. And that was the sacrifice given. And then we see this promise in Genesis twenty-two eighteen: That salvation would not just be for the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. It would be for the Gentiles also. And these shall all nations of the earth be blessed. The apostle Paul himself proclaimed in Romans 6, uh, 1 and verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile. Now let's also look then at the next one. Look at verse 48. The Gentiles rejoiced and honored the word. Look at verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Just not, as not every Jew rejected the gospel, we know some believed. So not every Gentile believed on Christ, but many did accept Christ as their Savior. They rejoiced that through the grace of God on the merits of Jesus' death and resurrection by faith, they also could accept. It was made available to them the offer of forgiveness of sin and the righteousness of Christ so they could have eternal life. They honored and glorified the word by believing the message of the gospel. They did not argue against it. They did not blaspheme it. They believed it. They acknowledged it as true and as authentic. It's interesting because the Bible says that those that were ordained unto, as many as were ordained unto eternal life, believed. That word ordained in some translations is uh, given out as appointed. The trans actually, the word here translated is a military term, which means to arrange in order and to appoint. It is not the same Greek word, election or chosen. This is a different word. And I believe that though I believe in the sovereignty of God, and I believe that man has that responsibility and the free will to choose to accept eternal life or to reject it, 
through a relationship with Jesus Christ or to, or to, as many of the Jews did, to push him away and not believe on him. So man has that opportunity. But I also believe, as the Bible tells us in John 6, 44, Jesus said, no man can come to me except the Father which sent me draw him. There is a sovereign work that God does in drawing souls to Christ. God draws. It's God's grace that offers salvation to all men. But men must believe. Folks, John 3.16 says, For God so loved who? The world. Who is the world? All people. Specifically, all unbelievers. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so, in this, when it says, All who were ordained unto eternal life, Sometimes we kind of get our backs up a little bit and say, hey, listen, you're talking about a limited atonement and all these other things. I think the opposite is what's being indicated here is that this, this shows that it has been opened up, that the gospel offer is much broader than anyone would have anticipated. And those that were ordained unto eternal life believed. The point here, I believe, is that though God is sovereign in salvation... We see here the perfect arranging of God's timing. Remember the word ordained can mean to arrange in order. And here's what I see. I see what I would call a divine appointment. That God brought his chosen team, Paul and Silas. Remember that Paul and Silas, when they left Antioch, they were commended there by the brethren to go out and to proclaim the gospel. We've already seen some of their journey, where they have gone and how God directed them. And God directs them in his perfect timing to this exact place, to these exact people to preach the gospel message to them because there are many there who will believe. And it talks about that arranging. And you know, I find great encouragement in that because you know what? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God says, I change not. Is God still saving souls today? Is God still giving divine appointments out today? And don't you believe that God can take you and me and he's placed us in this time? Have you ever heard somebody say, boy, he was born in the wrong century. He should have born in, been born in the 1800s, you know. He'd have been great frontiersman or whatever, you know. And so maybe you've said that about yourself. Boy, I wish I would have lived during such and such an era. I, that, that's when I really would have fit. No, God had you to be born in this time, in this generation, in this country, in this place. He brought people into your life where you heard the gospel. He ordered and arranged events where the seed was planted and it was watered and came to fruition. And the Holy Spirit did a work to illumine your understanding in your heart to that point of the day when you repented of your sin and by faith called out to the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer and you received the mercy of his forgiveness of your sin and you received the grace of his gift of everlasting life. He made you righteous. He justified you. Just as we see that God did for these people here in Antioch, another Antioch. And folks, God has set divine appointments for us. And we need to pray that the Spirit of God would so fill and so lead us. That we would have such a compassion of Christ. That as Christ, when he saw the multitudes, was moved with compassion on them. That our lives would be a gospel message wherever we go in public. And that as we have divine appointments, whether it's to proclaim the gospel to a group of people or to an individual, that we would see some are going to want to hear more. 
And we need to be ready to follow up and to build that relationship and to take the time to invest in continuing to study the Word of God with them, to answer their questions, to help them as they search for the truth. Others have already begun that journey, and when God intersects our lives, they are ready to be saved, and they'll trust the Lord right away. And we should not be shocked or doubt. You know, are you really sure you want to pray and trust Christ right now? This, this is too good to be true. No, it's not. And you don't know what God's been doing in their life up till now. To bring them to that point where they are ready, where they are white unto harvest, ready to be saved. But remember that there are going to many who are going to repudiate and reject. They're going to blaspheme and they're going to argue with you and they're going to reject Christ and the offer of salvation. What is our admonition then? Hey, love your enemies. We still love them because they're not our enemies. They're the enemies of Christ right now. Really, they're the enemy of their own soul. And behind them, they're really not the enemy. Satan is the enemy who has deceived and blinded them spiritually. We need to keep loving them with the love of Christ. We need to be praying for them. And as God would open up another opportunity that we might have a chance to share with them again the gospel or be praying that God would bring other believers into their life to share the gospel. Because just like God specifically lined up and ordained this exact event, And the Spirit of God led Paul to preach in the power of the Spirit. So God wants to use us in the same way. Not necessarily that we're going on a mission trip right now. Many of you have been on mission trips. As a matter of fact, pray for Ashley Ray, who sang our special. In three weeks, she goes to Germany. And she's going to be going over there. um, And and she was there with the youth group as a sponsor of the summer. And she's going to go back again and do some follow-up ministry. and, uh, and so be, please be praying for her and God's blessing on that trip. And God may allow you to go on one of the mission trips with IBBI or one of the other mission trips that we'll take, maybe to go with Chuck Klute to Spain and help out the Bonikowskis or so many different opportunities we have to do ministry in different places. But you know what? God's placed you here in this community. And some of you travel for business where you go. Don't just look at things through business eyes. Look at things through Christ's eyes. Look for divine opportunities. Then God put you in that place at that time to share the gospel. A few weeks ago, Chris and I were driving to church uh, su- Sunday afternoon. I'm going to drop Ivy off for, uh, for choir practice and get ready for the evening service. On our way, there are two ladies on the side of the road, just right down here, down Hewitt, changing a flat tire. So we dropped Ivy off, turned around, drove back, parked the car, walked up there, and helped the ladies change the tire. And we had an opportunity to give them a gospel tract, invite them to church, share the love of Christ, try to get, uh, have a little bit of an influence in their lives. Folks, they didn't have that tire go flat at that time in that place with us driving by that exact time and us to have the time to help as some sort of, just, some sort of an accident or just by happen chance. I believe that that even was a divinely ordained opportunity. And folks, I believe that there are so many of them that we miss. And we need to really today humble ourselves before God and beg him to give us a heart of compassion and spiritual eyes to see people as eternal souls and to look on these things and the events in our life, not as happenstance chances, but as divine appointments for the sake of the gospel and the mission. 
It may be that God lays somebody on your heart or you're in a conversation after the service this morning with somebody back in our foyer and the Spirit of God just lays on your heart that there's something that they're going through and you can have an opportunity to pray with them and to encourage them or to, or to serve them even this coming week in some way because we are to do good unto all men, especially unto those who are of the household of faith. We are to edify one another, which means support one another. We're to exhort one another, which means to spiritually challenge one another. We are to encourage one another. And as God reveals those needs to you, it is not just so that you can say, oh, hmm, I'll pray for you this week. And maybe you do or you don't. But, but God puts that in your path so that you can, you can invest in his eternal kingdom, in his people, and in his gospel. How does the sovereignty of God and the free will of man work together? I know some of you are thinking that because of this phrase, ordained unto eternal life. Both are stated in Scripture. And we believe both. But guess what? It's a mystery. Can, do you believe the Trinity? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Can you explain it? Does the Bible state it? So what do we do? We believe it. We go as far as the Bible goes and we go no further. And it's the same thing with the, whether you want to call it the free will of man or the responsibility of man and the sovereignty of God when it comes to salvation. Both are stated in the scripture. Whosoever will may come is in the word of God. 2 Peter 3, 9, when the Bible says that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance is still in the book. And yet, as I quoted John 6, 44 and other places, we know that God has a sovereign part in this. And salvation is all of him and not of us. It's all of his grace. How does it work together? That's a mystery. And we don't need to explain it and completely understand it because, frankly, we can't. But we can believe it. And we can respond to the call of the Great Commission to proclaim the gospel and then to help disciples to grow. And then, look at verses 49 to 51. And this really excites me. Look at verses 49 to 51. As I want you to see, the last thing is the message of the word was spread and it was opposed. In verses 49 to 51, and the word of the Lord was published throughout all the regions. But the Jews stirred up devout and honorable women and chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast. But they shook the dust off their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. Hey, folks. The gospel spread throughout the whole region of Galatia. People were saved out of this exact time those who had immediately believed i believe some that wanted to hear more they also believed and then as paul and silas are proclaiming the gospel through the region of galatia and there at that chief city of the galatian region in antioch that there yes there was opposition and folks you know what isn't god greater than our enemy haven't we been warned that we are going to face spiritual opposition you know what you know in a sense the opposition of the enemy that we ought to drive us to our knees in prayer and a fervent dependence upon the Lord ought to also, in a sense, ignite an excitement in us because Satan's not going to oppose us if we're not fighting against him. But when we're doing spiritual battle and God is using us, I think sometimes Satan can sense what God's about to do through us and he's going to fight tooth and nail. And we don't, we're not flippant. I, I hate the little children's church song. And if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. Ouch! Okay, we don't underestimate our enemy. But greater is he, the Holy Spirit, who's in you than he that is in the world. Don't you ever forget that. And don't ever forget that at the name of Jesus, every tongue is going to confess, every knee is going to bow to Jesus Christ our Lord. And that includes all the hosts of hell. Satan himself. 
will bow the knee and declare with his tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord. But that does not negate our responsibility. We must be fervent in prayer. We must be led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Our dependency and our message is the word of God. We need to be filled with the compassion of Christ. We need to be led of the Holy Spirit. And when we face that opposition, we must say, well, I must be doing something right because Satan's fighting back. And we continue to proclaim the gospel. And some folks are going to reject. Folks, did it ever occur to you that it's not your responsibility whether people accept or reject the gospel? It's your responsibility to proclaim it. It's God's responsibility to save them and to work conviction in his heart. Because no matter how many arguments you have, no matter how long you're willing to debate with somebody, you're, you can't argue anybody into heaven. We don't depend on that. Paul said, if we're not sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, our sufficiency is of God. We depend on him for salvation to save us. Let's depend on him to use us to see others saved. And if people reject, we have been faithful with the seed of the gospel. We're not going to stand before Jesus Christ. Romans 14, 12, so then every one of us shall stand and give account of himself to God. I believe that's a personal interview. You look there, it's singular in Romans 14. We're all going to give account of our lives to God. About every aspect of our lives as believers. But we're not going to stand before Jesus Christ and he's going to say, hey, every person that you witnessed to didn't get saved. Why not? No. That's not the accountability. How we're going to hear a good and faithful servant. When as imperfectly as we do it, as we are growing and as we are teachable and we are pliable and we're responsive and we're growing in this, we take more and more, we recognize more and more of those divine opportunities and we share the gospel as weak and as frail and as foolish. Remember the scriptural text that was read for our scripture reading this morning in 1 Corinthians 1, God's chosen the weak and foolish things to confound the mighty. Hey, why is it? Well, Paul said the excellency may be of God and not of us. He gets the glory, not us. And sometimes we get our tongue wrapped around our eye tooth and we can't see what we're saying and we stutter and we spit and we sweat and we're trying to share the gospel and we get a little bit, you know, a little bit floundered sometimes and flustered. Hey, you know what? That's okay. Don't you think the Holy Spirit of God is greater than that? Now, certainly I'm not saying we shouldn't be well prepared. We should. But we shouldn't let fear or our quote unquote imperfect presentation hold us back from sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's the gospel that's the power of God and salvation to everyone that believes, Romans 1.16. And all we got to do is share that gospel and be faithful. And we'll stand and give an account for those times when the Holy Spirit dawned on our understanding that this is a divine opportunity. Share your testimony. Hand a gospel tract. Invite them to church. Engage them in, a, in an evangelistic Bible study. Whatever opportunity you have, you're going to be accountable if you are a faithful servant with that opportunity. So be faithful. But hey, expect opposition. Interesting note here. Why do you think that Paul and Silas shook the dust off of their feet against them in the city? Remember that these devout women, these would have been ladies, that Jewish ladies or, or Gentile ladies that were proselytes to the Jewish uh, faith, that they stirred them up. The Jewish people, the synagogue leaders, stirred them up out of jealousy, and they had influence in high places. Maybe their husbands also had high influence because it talks about leading men of the city, and they thrust Paul and Silas out. They finally put enough pressure that Paul and Silas moved out. I believe Paul and Silas said, all right, fine. You don't want us to preach here in Antioch? We've done that. And you know what? God in his timing is, is, is sovereign and he's allowing you to thrust us out. Fine. We're just going to keep on preaching right through Galatia and all the way on to Iconium, 80 miles away. We'll just keep doing that. But they stopped and they shook off the dust of their feet against them for two reasons. One, Jesus said in Luke 10, 10 and 11, but into whatsoever city ye shall enter, 
And they receive you not, go your way out into the streets of the same and say, even the very dust of your city, which cleaveth unto us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. It was a final warning of the gospel. Truths come close to you and you are rejecting it. You see, it was a custom for a strict Jew to have the symbolism that when he would leave the nation of Israel upon returning and crossing the border into Israel, he would shake his garments so that he would not take the defiled dust of a heathen nation into the holy land of Israel. And in this instance, Jesus says, when you shake off your, the dust of your feet, it was something every Jew would have understood that you are, you are rejecting the holy son of God you are rejecting God's way of salvation. You had opportunity and invitation to come into this kingdom and you've rejected it. And lo, we go to the Gentiles. Now, does that mean that those people's opportunity who had initially or even consistently rejected and resisted the gospel, that their opportunity was over? Uh, if you think that, you underestimate the grace of God. I believe that there were still some of those who initially rejected and blasphemed and even had Paul and Silas thrown out of the city. That the Spirit of God through his people and the power of their testimony and, and the message of the gospel, they later trusted Christ as Savior. I trust that that is true. But last of all, look at this. The believers were filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 52. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. Filled with joy is in the imperfect tense, which means kept on being. So they were, it indicates a, continu, a continued, indefinitely kind of condition. And you know, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to bear the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. It's not something you manufacture. It's just like down in Florida. I love tangerines, right? And there's a tangerine tree down there. And tangerine doesn't go... And with great effort, ping, here come these tangerines, right? It doesn't happen that way. What happens if that tree is getting the proper nutrition and moisture as it grows in maturity, a natural outcome of a healthy tangerine tree is what? Tangerines. And a person who is consistently walking in the Spirit, that Holy Spirit Jesus referred to as a wellspring of life bubbling up within you. And that source of the Spirit is going to produce spiritual fruit, including joy. But as I've meditated on this message, I've come to a really cool conclusion. And it bears out, at least in, in my observation, I want you just to think about this. Now, this is not, thus saith the Lord, this is Pastor Todd's meditation or rambling. All right, this is kind of my theory. just want you to be clear on that. I think I'm seeing a connection between a spirit-filled Christian who shares the gospel and consistent joy. When I get a chance to share the gospel with somebody, whether they reject or accept it, I walk away joyful and thankful for that opportunity. When somebody says, I want to hear more, when somebody bows their head and calls on the Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life, even when somebody argues and rejects it, but they're mad because they heard the message, there's still joy because my joy is not based on my temporal circumstances or people's response to me. It's based on my relationship with God and walking in the spirit and the wonderful joy and fulfillment 
in sharing the gospel. When's the last time you were consistently joyful? I wonder if you go back and think in your mind, if you can remember that you'll find a connection that you were one who had a burden for souls and you were sharing the gospel. And if you say, you know, Pastor Todd, that joy is not consistent in my life. I would just ask you to consider, are you consistently sharing the gospel? Because there is a great joy of those who walk in the spirit when they have the privilege of sharing the gospel because that is why we were redeemed. We've been bought with a price to glorify God in this temporal life and we bring him glory by proclaiming his glorious gospel. Let's bow our heads this morning. We are going to have an invitation. We are going to have an invitation this way. In a moment, we are going to stand. Our heads will be bowed. Our musicians will play a hymn of invitation. Listen carefully. Our associate pastors will be at the back of the auditorium. If you would like help to find salvation in Jesus Christ, if you don't have an absolute 100% confidence that if you were to die today or 10 years from now, that you would be with Jesus Christ, if you're not sure where your soul will spend eternity and you're concerned about that, in a moment, we'll stand with our heads bowed. The musician will play him an invitation. I'd invite you just to walk to the back of the auditorium and see one of our pastors. Share with them your interest, and they will have a trained Bible counselor take you out to a quiet place and in a few minutes review with you the plan of salvation from God's word. And you can call on Christ and settle once and for all of eternity your soul's destiny. If you're a born-again believer, the Spirit of God has spoken to your heart whether it's about what's been preached this morning or some other issue, if you're going through some deep valley or burden, if there's some important decision you need to make that you're struggling with, and you would like someone to pray with you or to give you some biblical counsel, please head to the back. Let one of the pastors know that need. Again, we'll have somebody meet with you. Uh, or if you need to leave very soon and you're not able to stay, we can set up an appointment to meet with you this week and help you from the Word of God. But we'll certainly have a word of prayer with you before you go. Or whether you just stand where, while the music is playing and deal with God right where you're standing, that's between you and the Lord. But just respond with a humble, submissive, obedient response to the speaking of God's Spirit to you this morning. Shall we stand? Our heads are bowed as our pianist begins to play.